The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers and change the world, you are in the right place. We say it, we mean it, and it's always true. Let's see what the buzz is today. Well, we have a quote from a gentleman named Kevin O'Mara from Industry Week two years ago, January 14, 2015. And let's see if this will set us up for our topic. Quote, technology trends coupled with consumers' increasing power to demand personal products are changing the face of manufacturing. That's right. We are live with the future of manufacturing with Game Changers Radio. So what are we talking about? Let me set it up a little more. The concept of software is everywhere. Let me say that again. Software is everywhere. We have to paint it on the side of a building or crochet it on a pillow somewhere so it's prominent. This concept has begun to resonate with industrial manufacturers around the world. Let's look at what's happening. There's hardly an industrial machine or a piece of equipment or a plant automation system that doesn't already have a lot of software, a significant amount to go along with the traditional hardware. So we're going to call this mass digitalization. And we're going to talk about digitalization versus digitization because the two terms seem to be bandied about. Maybe they're interchangeable. We'll find out. Is this mass digitalization disrupting the industrial machinery sector? A lot to talk about. We have three experts on the panel. Let me briefly tell you who they are, where they come from, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. So in a moment, we'll be speaking with Sabrina Bartlett. She is a senior manager in Capgemini's discrete industry sector team. Joining her on the panel is Vijay Sundararajan, senior director in SAP's North America Industry Value Engineering team. And rounding out the panel is our good friend David Parrish, senior global marketing director for the industrial machinery and components industry at SAP. That's a very long business card, Dave. And Dave is one of the three co-sponsors of this series. So of course he's here and we're delighted. So Let's start talking to Sabrina Bartlett at Capgemini, and she has sent me a quote from Daniel Dennett. You might say Dennett. Uh, he has written uh, one of his books is Intuition Pumps and Other Tools for Thinking. If you're not familiar with Daniel Clement Dennett III, look him up on Wikipedia. He's an American philosopher, a writer, a cognitive scientist whose research centers on the philosophy of mind, philosophy of science, philosophy of biology, 
and on and on and on. He has won so many awards, my goodness. He calls himself an autodidact, the beneficiary of hundreds of hours of informal tutorials on all the fields that interest him from some of the world's leading scientists. He's won a Fulbright Fellowship, two Guggenheim Fellowships, a fellowship at the Center for Advanced Study in the Behavioral Science, and I love the fact that he is a fellow of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, and I think that's what we're talking about today. Here is the very long quote Sabrina has selected from Dennett's book, Intuition Pumps and other tools for thinking, and I quote now. When physicist Richard Feynman found himself listening to a scientific talk in a field he didn't know well, he had a favorite question to ask the speaker. Can you give me a really simple example of what you're talking about? If the speaker couldn't oblige, Feynman got suspicious, and rightly so. Did this person really have something to say, or was this just fancy technical talk parading as scientific wisdom? If you can't make a hard problem relatively simple, you are probably not going about it the right way. Simplification is not just for beginners. Sabrina, what a quote. I feel like I've read half a book here already. Welcome to Game Changers Radio. Sabrina Bartlett, how are you? Thank you, Bonnie. Doing well. Sorry for the mouthful there. <laughs> That's okay, but I, I two reasons I'm very grateful to you for this quote. One, you introduced me to Daniel. Do you say Dennett or Danette? What do you prefer? I say Dennett. He may prefer something else. <laughs> okay, we'll say Daniel Dennett. But I love the fact that you included his quote about Richard Feynman. And as somebody on a show about a year ago introduced me to Feynman, and I bought one of Feynman's books. He had a great sense of humor, a brilliant physicist. But I condense this whole quote, Sabrina, in my thoughts down to two sentences. If you can't make a hard problem relatively simple, you're probably not going about it the right way, followed by simplification is not just for beginners. So, Sabrina, officially welcome. And tell me, how does the quote relate to our topic, talking about the mass digitalization of the manufacturing industry? Talk to me. Absolutely. So, you know, I bring this one up, and, and, and Daniel Dennett was a big fan of Feynman in terms of how Feynman would break down and approach problems in the science world. And um, you know, I think in this age of mass digitalization, it's easy to get caught up in all the jargon and buzz, and everyone wants to have an opinion and, and sound smart, and there's a lot of new coming out, and we're all jumping on it. And, and I think sometimes uh, it becomes difficult to distinguish the signal from the noise. Um, I'm a big fan, fan of Feynman as well, so that's why I chose this quote about a quote. Um, I come from a family of scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project, so it's, it's near and dear to my heart. Um, mm. And... You know, it's important to keep in mind that a lot of these concepts we're going about are, are, not, are not new concepts. I used to do electrical engineering, and I, I would wander the, the oil fields when I worked for the, the, the National Lab in New Mexico, and, and we did um, downhole telemetry for oil field wells. And we didn't call it IoT back then, but, you know, this was over 10 years ago, and, and that's basically what it was. Um, you know, so I think it's important to, to remember in, in this wave that we're going through of change to be able to take a step back and distill things down to the concepts that, that we know and that we've been doing for a long time and focus on that and, and get a solid foundation out and then tackle this in small and, and iterative digital sprints rather than trying to take the whole digital revolution down in, in one gulp. Thank you, Sabrina. I have two points. Number one, there is a quote that apparently, according to my favorite uh, site here, quoteinvestigator.com, is actually positively attributed to Albert Einstein. I think you know what I'm going to say. Everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. Do you agree with that? I think that's what uh, Dennett was trying to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll, you'll see a theme with the uh, the major scientists there. <laughs> and the <laughs> second well question 
Thank you. And, and I'm, I really appreciate your background on this. Very, very interesting. What a career you've already had. And I know you're very young, so you have a lot more ahead of you. Very interesting. Women in tech, one of my favorite topics. Now, question. Digitization or digitalization? What do you prefer? And is there a shade of meaning or are they the same thing? Sabrina? I think when it comes to, to breaking things down, I mean, if you look up the definitions, it's a bit circular. If you look up digitization it, or digitalization, it might actually redirect you to digitization in some, in some areas or, or depends on what areas of the Internet you're exploring. Um, so just uh, in terms of simplification, sometimes I, I choose to leave out the syllables and make it easier. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. We're going to have to ask Dave Parrish about why he used that word in the title. Dave, you get ready for that. I'm going to challenge you with that as well. Thank you, Sabrina. Pleasure to meet you. Looking forward to a lot more from you. And again, thanks for the great quote. And now I'm going to introduce our second panelist, Vijay Sundararajan. I think I have that right. He is with SAP's North America Industry Value Engineering Team. And he, speaking of Einstein, what a great segue. Thank you, Bonnie. He has picked a quote that was Einstein's 19 19- 21 response to Thomas Edison's opinion, where we're just full of smart people on the quotes today. This is Einstein's response to Edison's opinion that a college education is useless. Now, I know a lot of people today agree with Edison, but here was what, here's the full quote, VJ, that I found from Einstein. Quote, it is not so very important for a person to learn facts. For that, he does not really need a college. He can learn them from books. We're going to assume he means he and she, of course. Uh, the value of an education in a liberal arts college is not the learning of many facts, but the training of the mind to think something that cannot be learned from textbooks. So, great quote. Vijay, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, well, thank you for asking. That's very kind of you. I'm fine. I'm having a good time speaking with so far Sabrina and you. And tell me, how did you pick this quote in relation to a topic about digitalization of industrial machinery, manufacturing. What do you think? Yeah, um, this is a topic that I keep uh, talking to my kids about, uh, this concept of, uh, you know, uh, what you learn in schools and colleges and how relevant that is to, you know, uh, your day-to-day workplace uh, situations, right? Now, the schools and colleges today, uh, they're trying to uh, keep pace with the latest uh, uh, developments in technology. You know, I was very impressed uh, when my son in ninth grade uh, talks about 3D printing and then does a few projects around it in his high school. So, you know, that's a pretty recent topic, and the schools are really... Uh, talking about it, teaching uh, that topic to the kids. But, uh, you know, with the way the technology uh, development happens and the life cycle of technology development, you're not going to be fully job-ready when you're out of college. You know, we learn a few things in college, but you're not, that's not going to make you fully job-ready. Uh, and added to that, uh, you have organizations confronting the issue of aging workforce you know, where mm-hmm. tribal knowledge resides in a few individuals. They're not very well captured, not, not well documented. You know, they're not available for future generation of employees to, to use and then uh, make meaningful uh, uh, decisions from that information that's uh, residing in, in workforce. So how do you keep uh, improving and innovating in this scenario? You know, that's a question that uh, a lot of companies uh, confront today. 
And I believe that's where the ability to think uh, comes in. You know, I have a fundamental belief that uh, thinking is a transferable skill. You know, you can have uh, <laughs> research on cognitive thinking providing arguments in favor of and against this idea. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've read, uh, uh, you know, topics and discussions around it. You know, it kind of gets into a little bit of uh, uh, political when it comes to dealing with common core and whether it should stay or whether it shouldn't stay. But, uh, you know, but uh, I, I have a fundamental belief that thinking is, is a transferable skill. Uh, again, you know, if you look at uh, successful inventions and innovators in the past, nobody taught them about the topic until they came up with that, until they had something on their own, uh, they thought through it in their mind, and then uh, they did something which nobody else uh, did it before, right? Uh, all that they had was the, it was the subject knowledge that they had gained through, you know, a formal uh, education. You know, you don't have to go to a college to gain that, but you could read books, you could, uh, uh, you know, read what's publicly available. So, uh, the, the point that I'm trying to get back to is that uh, for the organizations that are in, in business today, uh, given the talent and skill shortage uh, they confront, so they need to hire you know, people who can think, who have been trained to think, right? Uh, as I said before, thinking is a transferable skill, and uh, I completely agree that uh, training does not have to be in a formal college setting. You can, you can get the training outside a, co- outside a college environment. So that's why I picked that quote. Thank you, Vijay. Very, very interesting. Uh, we used to call that the school of hard knocks, I think, back in the day, maybe before you and Sabrina were born. Dave Parrish might remember that. I don't know. What, what do they call real life? Now, now, Vijay, I have, I love the quote and I'm quoting you. Vijay, do you have a Twitter handle? Because I want to, I want to attribute this to you. Do you have one or would you rather I, 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 I can send it out to you. Okay, I'm going to look it up here and see if I can find it on Twitter because I want to put it in uh, right now on this quote. I'm just putting your name in, though. So I have a question for you. You know what it is. Digitization or digitalization? What's your pleasure? Um, I would go with what Dave Parrish has put in, which is digitalization. I think uh, anything outside that, uh, you know, my marketing team is going to come back at us. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> the official, that's the official Good answer. Digitalization. <laughs> oh, he's playing it safe here. He's playing it safe. Thank you very much. Okay. Very, very pleased to meet you, WJ. Okay. And Dave Parrish, now it's time. You have been called. You have been summoned. We are channeling Mr. Parrish. Dave has picked a quote, a, a different version than the one I'm used to, of a very famous quote from Wayne Gretzky. Anybody been asleep at the wheel for the past 30 years or so? It's Wayne Douglas Gretzky, and he has the letter CC after his name, a Canadian former professional ice hockey player and former head coach who played 20 seasons in the NHL National Hockey League for four teams between 1979 and 99. He was nicknamed the Great One, and he's been called the greatest hockey player ever by sports writers, players, and leagues, leading scorer in NHL history, blah, blah, blah. I won't give you the tally, but you can look it up. Here is the version Dave sent me, and I like this one better, Dave, than the one that's commonly bandied about. So here's the quote. A good hockey player plays where the puck is. A great hockey player plays where the puck is going to be. Dave Parrish, welcome to your show. How are you? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for asking. We almost met at Sapphire, but a little uh, snafu with health prevented us from getting together, so I, I was kind of waving to you across the convention center. Uh, Dave, tell me about this. Wayne Gretzky, this quote, talking about digitize something and industrial manufacturing. How does this quote relate to what we're talking about today? Sure. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, what Sabrina was saying in regards to simplification. And I think, 
you can pretty much boil everything down to hockey or ice hockey when it comes down to it. So for this one, um, to me, when uh, Sabrina was mentioning distinguishing the single signal from the noise, I believe where the puck is at the moment is the noise, and where it's going to be is the signal, and that's when you're going to score and win. And I just think a lot of us spend some of our days to days kind of mired where the puck is and the details and the weeds and not looking big picture what's coming down the road. And I think that just perfectly simplifies the concept of uh, being ready for what's next. And as you may know, some people in Nashville and Pittsburgh are still watching hockey, so Stanley Cup playoffs are going on, so I figured it was timely. Dave, I need you a little bit closer to your phone. You're fading a little bit, but I did hear everything you say. Now, Dave, the question of the day, is it digitalization or digitization? I don't want to get obsessed with that, but I am curious because most of our shows that talk about this topic talk about digitization without the ALI in there somewhere. So what's your preference and what's the shade of meaning that you want to convey with this? So my my preference, kind of as Vijay said, was the digitalization and the reason behind that is I think it encapsulates more of sort of the Internet of Things and the bigger picture of software as everything and innovation, where when I think of digitization, I think of just plain zeros and ones and transferring, you know, numerical things. So simple math versus big picture kind of thing is how I look at it, Bonnie. Dave, this is such a popular question. I Googled digitalization versus digitization. The page filled up with one, two, three, four, five, six, ten articles immediately. Digitization versus, you know, the other word, wordplay or worldview. That's a news. That's at SAP.com in the news center. Probably one of my colleagues wrote that. Here's one, how to win the digitization versus digitalization debate. Here's another one, uh, culture digitally. Here's one from, uh, let's see, uh, wikidiff.com. Here's one from thedigitalbridges.com. Gartner weighed in on this. Okay. Digital business transformation is about doing things differently. Is it automation or digitalization? Very interesting. KBZ.com has an article on this, and Hearst Associates has one. Digitization 101, digitization versus digitalization. Blogspot. Very interesting. Did you know this was such a brouhaha? I kind of did, but I like to go back to simplification and talk about what's important. (laughs) There you go. I have been put in my place. There you go. Thank you, Dave. Uh, let's see. Mm. Oh, I didn't. I just said that you might be able to join me in understanding or remembering the phrase of the school of hard knocks. Okay. Very good. You'll forgive me. You're my friend. Okay. Now let's circle back around to Sabrina Bartlett. Sabrina, we have a little personal segment here called what's in your cup today because the flagship show I started for SAP in 2011 is coffee break with game changers. So I think I warned you about this on our prep call when we met last week. First, we want to know where you're calling from. Not the Google Maps coordinate maps of the roof of your house or office. Not that personal. But where in general, what city or state or country are you in? And what are you drinking right now if it makes you happy? If not, what would you rather have in your cup today? Sabrina Bartlett? Uh, Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, I am sitting here in our lovely Dallas office. So I'm actually West Coast based typically, but I had a, a few meetings out here, so... Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and, okay, uh, what are you drinking? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I would normally love to tell you coffee, but right now, honestly, I was joined with uh, an insect just before this call started. <laughs> and uh, I think he's having a worse morning than I am. So 
Um, you know, I, I normally prefer not to have an insect in my cup, but it just so happened. We were Aww. starting up, and he jumped in, and I, I don't think this coffee's having a, the energizing effect on him that, that, uh, that it normally would I have I don't on think me, so. Well, so. what kind of coffee do you love to drink when there's not a visitor floating in it, Sabrina? Oh, whatever's in the machine. I'm not picky. Anything with caffeine in it, and that's, uh, that's about where I draw there my line. There you go. <laughs> caffeine works. Thank you very much. And now let's go to VJ. VJ, let me see if I can pronounce your name correctly. Sundara Rajan. I think I got it right. Sundara Rajan. VJ, where are you calling from and what's in your cup or what would you rather be drinking? Yes, uh, I'm based out of Downers Grove in Chicago. Uh, it's kind of the western suburb, uh, about 20 miles west of Chicago. So that's where I'm based out of. That's where I'm calling in from. And uh, in terms of coffee, I'm actually a coffee lover, and I do not go through a day without at least two to three cups of coffee a day. Uh, but I would share a story from my days living in Singapore. Uh, I used to be, uh, I, I, I've lived in Singapore for about 15 years, but, uh, and I used to travel to Jakarta and Indonesia, you know, for business purposes, of course. And, uh, you know, during one such uh, trip, you know, I and my colleague, you know, we were meeting a, a chief executive of a company uh, locally there. And uh, it's customary in that part of the world, you know, uh, for, you know, when you go to a meeting, they would offer you coffee. And uh, we had good coffee. We had a good meeting. And, uh, you know, we finished it. We were getting back uh, in my colleague's car, you know, back to the office. And uh, so that's when my colleague kind of asked me a strange question. He said, how often do I puke? I said, what? You know, <laughs> he said, how often do you puke? I said, no, I'm feeling well. I, I don't think I do that. Uh, you know, I don't recollect when it was. And then, you know, the conversation turned back to the coffee that we had in that meeting. And then he asked yeah. me how the coffee was. I said, great. I think I liked it. It was smooth and uh, it was black. I liked it. And then uh, uh, he said that the coffee we had was the most expensive coffee in the world. And uh, it's called Coffee Luwak. And yes. believe me, it costs about $150 a pound upwards. You yep. know, at a minimum, that's what you're probably be paying for that. I knew that Indonesia produces some great coffee. You know, you, see, you, go to, you go to Starbucks, you're going to see the Sumatra beans. You know, they're all made out in Indonesia, grown in Indonesia. They make some pretty good coffee. But I couldn't believe that steep price, 150 bucks for a pound of coffee. You know, and, yep. uh, and then he started explaining, you know, what is it all about, you know. So why it's expensive. So luas are basically small mammals. You know, they look like cats. Uh, they roam around the uh, coffee plantations in Indonesia, but they have the ability to select the best coffee cherries as their staple food, right? What they do is uh, they digest the fruit and expel the coffee beans, right? And the coffee farmers collect the faces, wash it, roast it, and there you go. You have the coffee luwak. That's what I had on that day. You know? And that makes <laughs> sense to me as to why he asked me how often do you puke. You know, and then I said, man, you know, that's, that's a strange one. And uh, I, I, I actually looked at Amazon yesterday. They're still being sold for about 150 or 180 bucks a yes. pound, you know, and that's their expensive coffee. And, uh, you know, I like good coffee, but I don't like the expensive ones now. Well, Vijay, thank you for the story. We have had a few panelists over the years tell us about it, and and I know it is Kopi Luvak, K-O-P-I, and it's alternately spelled L-U-W-A-K or L-O-E-W-A-K. But I'm going to shock you. I'm going to shock you. They now have beer called Stout 
that is infused with Kopi Luvac. So Demolin ah. Kopi Luvac Coffee Stout, an imperial stout beer by Demolin, a brewery in Bodegrave, and I don't even know where that is. So they are actually taking this very expensive coffee and infusing beer with it. I'm not going to say anything, but yes, the uh, Kopi Luvac Anyway, very interesting. They say that the flavor of the coffee infuses and enhances the flavor of the beer. So we're just going to leave that alone. Thank well, you, VJ. That was that was a great story, and I'm glad you had a chance to taste that, and I'm glad you were able to hold it down. And now, Mr. Parrish, David Parrish, where are you calling from? I, I'm assuming Denver. That's because you usually hang out there. And Dave, if not, where are you, and what are you drinking today? I am, in fact, in Denver, Colorado. Another beautiful sunny day here. And just <laughs> I've, I've had what, what VJ was, was speaking about when I was in Indonesia and in Indonesia, and I thought it was good, but I'm not sure it was $150 a pound good, that's for sure. But today I'm drinking um, regular old coffee from the grocery store, and I'm double fisting, as they say today, with a big glass of ice water also, so really exciting. Black coffee and ice water, Bonnie, here in Denver. Ooh, is the, is the coffee hot or is the coffee cold? How do you put those two together, Dave? The coffee is piping hot and the water is ice cold in a separate glass. So do you chase the hot coffee with the water one for one, or do you wait until you're, you're all warmed up from the coffee and then you chase it? How do you do it? I couldn't even tell you. I grab which one, <laughs> and I drink them, and then at some point they're both empty, and I fill them up again. I see. Well, we're looking for a madness to your method, and you know why I said that, so we're just going to leave that one alone. If you're wondering, we are talking about a very serious topic, the mass digitalization in industrial manufacturing. What's next? Our panelists today, our bright panelists, are Sabrina Bartlett at Capgemini, Vijay Sundararajan, Sundararajan, I think I have it right, sorry for the stumble, at SAP, and Dave Parrish at SAP. We found out where they are, what they're drinking, and what their quote preferences are. We've had some brilliant quotes so far. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Sabrina and I will open the round table with one of her topics she sent me before the show. We're going to be gone for about 90 seconds, so why don't you try some either coffee-infused beer, if it's that time of the day where you are, or just coffee, and try it the Dave Parrish way with the chaser of ice water on the side. Let's see how you all feel ready to rock and roll when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will return. Kevin, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The manufacturing world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly industry leaders address new trends, overcome new challenges, and take advantage of new technologies. The aerospace, chemicals, high-tech, and industrial sectors are at the forefront of transforming manufacturing operations to truly change the game. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how innovations are driving new challenges and trends across various manufacturing sectors. The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of manufacturing with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. The future of manufacturing is here. We're talking about mass digitalization in industrial manufacturing. What's next? And that's future focused. Speaking today with Sabrina Bartlett at Capgemini. VJ, I'm just going to say VJ, our new good friend at SAP, and Dave at SAP as well. And now we're going to open the roundtable in earnest, as my late mom used to say. And Sabrina has sent me the following information in her notes before the show. I'll open the topic, and Sabrina will expand it. Then we'll find out what VJ and Dave have to say on this topic. So, Sabrina says, infrastructure and cybersecurity are potentially the less sexy angles of this topic, but absolutely critical to making it happen. And she adds a case study here. Verizon recently signed a contract with Corning for $1.05 billion of 5G fiber optic cable spend to enable smart cities infrastructure. Sabrina, can you translate this for us? Yeah, so I, you know, I think in, in this uh, digital age, we're getting caught up in, in talking about the next big thing, and that's, that's the exciting thing to talk about. So we're talking about wireless charging and autonomous cars and connected everything, and it's, it's fun and it's exciting, but I, I pause and question whether or not we are also moving forward with the infrastructure and cybersecurity requirements uh, that are needed to support this and, and keep pace with the change. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I, I'll start with the Corning example, you know, I think we're starting to think about that, but that, that, that $1 billion spend is just for some small, very targeted pilot areas for smart city enablement. Um, and, and you're looking at a billion dollars and, and they're not looking for a, a return on that investment for at least a, a year plus. Um, and, and I don't know that, you know, that is the kind of investments that we need to be making, but I, I don't see that nearly as much as the technology and excitement around this. So, you know, we're anticipating, you know, for example, that uh, wireless charging everywhere and I'm going to be able to take my electric uh, Tesla down the road and have it charge automatically, never have to stop at a station again. That's great. And and that technology is is coming pretty close to fruition, but the infrastructure to support that is going to be um, insane. Uh, I'll I'll give you another example, actually, Corning. Again, um, Corning and Apple have uh, partnered together, and actually uh, Corning is developing out a uh, ceramic backing for the Apple phone. Um, and and the, the reason for that is they can't use the metal backing when you do wireless charging, and they want the next version to be enabled for wireless charging. Well, Apple is going to maintain the, the IP and the rights to that, but that's going to drive those iPhones up to, you know, you could be looking at a grand a phone, and, and that's going to start becoming cost prohibitive for a lot of people, and, and, you know, especially we don't do two-year contracts anymore. That's an out-of-pocket expense. So 
you know, those are the things where we, we're dreaming big and, and the technology is coming out, but, but we're not necessarily keeping pace. And all, uh, from a cybersecurity angle as well, you know, all it's going to take is one big breach or, or something like Stuxnet that happened in Iran, uh, you know, and, and it's going to be a major setback to us. So, you know, just because we have the technology doesn't mean that we can widely implement it. Um, I, I think we need to be making sure that we're also focusing on the, you know, less sexy angles of this and, and keeping pace so that we can make our dreams come true. Very important. Whose dreams are we making true, come true, before we move on to getting VJ's comments, uh, Sabrina? I mean, I cannot wait until an autonomous vehicle and I can nap on the way to work or do work on the way to work. Or <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have a radio series called The Future of... Cars with Game Changers, uh, hosted with Dave's colleague, Larry Stoley. He's the sponsor of that series, and we talk about that all the time. Will autonomous cars solve the traffic problem? And, you know, the interesting answer we came up with to traffic stress is not uh, what they call... um, uh, you know, the uh, the special pricing, congestion pricing, that's not going to do it. It's the way we work. We came up with the idea a couple weeks ago on the show, just as a sidebar, that it's the fact that people still go to offices to work, real offices, brick-and-mortar buildings, and most companies let people out at 5 p.m. So if you're in a city and you've got X number of facilities, whether it's manufacturing or office buildings, and everybody gets out of work between 5 and 6, you're going to have congestion no matter who's driving or not driving the car. So it's the it's the lifestyle of the workplace that is causing the congestion and not the fact of the cars. The cars are just just what happens when you have that lifestyle. We'll leave that one alone. Thank you. Vijay, love to get your thoughts on what Sabrina brought up about the less sexy angle of cybersecurity for digitalization. Uh, it's a good point uh, that, that Sabrina brings up, Bonnie, and uh, the, the challenge that, that the customers would typically uh, be, be facing with that is, uh, where do I put? Where do they put the locks on? You know, you, you have the data coming in from uh, you know multiple sources today. I think organizations have kind of uh, uh, you know tackled the you know the challenges when it comes to security within their four walls. You know, uh, I think there have been breaches, but I think uh, you, you could you could argue that uh, they've been fairly successful in trying to make sure that the organizational data uh, that you know that they have and that they own their IP is all safe and secure. But uh, you, you're going in. To a domain where uh, your your data is going to come in from sensors uh, out from remote locations, you know you're going to be relying on a lot more uh, uh, third-party providers to get the data back to you, you know, to your to your factory, or maybe you will be storing the data in in cloud. You know, uh, it's 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 a problem that's going to be you know closely looked upon, and I think uh, uh, one of the reasons uh, for customer skepticism associated with this topic is security. So, uh, you know. You know, it's 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 very good that people are investing a lot of money in solving this problem, but I I don't foresee that topic going away from executors' mind anytime soon. Uh, it's going to keep coming back, and uh, every time that I speak to my customers, uh, there's a topic uh, that that keeps coming back. You know, how do I secure uh, my data uh, that's outside my four walls? So uh, I'm glad uh, Sabrina brought it up. Thank you, Vijay, and I'm glad you commented on it. Now let's get Dave Parrish's POV. Dave, join us. Sure. I'd like to circle back, though, to what was in my cup, Bonnie, because I don't think my answer was sufficient for you. Um, After a scientific study over the last 35 minutes, it looks like I'm drinking three sips of coffee to every one sip of ice water. 
So now we know. Ah, that's a very good ratio. Is the coffee still very hot? Are you using it, it as a cool-down method? Nice, very nice stainless steel mug by a very nice customer that I won't mention at the moment. Okay, you're not using a Yeti mug, are you? Oh, you did say it. Yes, of course. I you did. know why? You know why I said it? Because that's what Larry Stoley drinks from. He puts his, <laughs> his Folgers coffee in a Yeti mug. We talk about it all the time. You're well, allowed to mention brands. There you go. I didn't know they were a customer, but I'm glad they have good mugs. Now we know. So our secret is out. So, Dave, what do you think about the aspect of cybersecurity and infrastructure is important to manufacturers today? Yeah, um, I definitely think when it comes to things like smart cities that have been mentioned or autonomous vehicles, 3D printing, you name it. I mean, we keep opening ourselves up to different challenges when it comes to either cyber attacks and or just having the bandwidth to move all this information, right? And I think what we'll see, you know, kind of what Sabrina was talking about, um, we'll see a lot more investment in the less sexier things, like the behind-the-scenes plumbing, if you will, and... uh, Mm -hmm security things, but we've talked about it in the past. I mean, if you can get through it in somebody's mobile phone to hack election results in this country or other countries or take down a sewer or water dam system to flood out a city, I mean, that's very real, very scary things that I think are in the back of uh, all of our minds when it comes to this. I think so. More and more front and center, absolutely, as we sip our coffee and drink our water. Thank you very much. Uh, Sabrina, I'm going to give you one minute to comment on what Vijay and Dave said about your topic before I move on to something from Vijay. Go ahead, Sabrina. No, I mean, I I, I wasn't expecting anyone to come out and say they are not uh, important aspects. I think we're all in agreement. You know, it's just, to me, it's just a question of are we focusing on it enough and are we keeping pace? Um, you know, the technology, uh, the exciting technology, I think, is going to be a, a leader to this. We're going to reach those proof of concepts and the ability to do some of these things first, but the ability to reach the masses and make that widespread is going to depend on our pace on these other two angles, I believe. Thank you very much. Vijay, I'm looking at your notes here. here. Let's talk about data. I have a historical statement from you with a couple of future looking. Let me read them and then we'll have you expand. So Vijay says, data was always generated by manufacturers in the past, in their shop floors, their equipment. But digitization, and he's using, I'm going to expand that to digitalization in the manufacturing sector today, is being driven by the lower cost of digitization that enables manufacturers to put more sensor devices on their shop floor, in their equipment easy access to scalable computing options, and applying data science technologies to make better business decisions. That's a lot to get our arms around. Vijay, why don't you break it down for us, please? Yeah. uh, What I was trying to get with that uh, statement, uh, Bonnie, was, uh, you know, whenever I talk to to customers, right, the question that always comes up, hey, you know, is is this for for real? You know, what do I get from this? What's the value uh, for me? You know, how do I execute on this? Common questions that the executives would typically ask uh, when you get into, uh, you know, uh, anything new. And also, you have a lot of hype associated with this topic of digitalization. We hear some big numbers, $10 trillion, $15 trillion, trillion, et cetera. I'm not questioning them, but, uh, you know, there there is a bit of uh, skepticism and hype associated with anything that's new, and uh, digitalization is uh, is not an exception to that, okay? So, uh, 
you, if you are a manufacturer and, and you're wondering, hey, you know, why should I be doing it? You know, what's in it for me? You know, you got to look at some of the factors. You know, uh, as Sabrina mentioned in her earlier quote, you know, with respect to the oil rig, people were doing it uh, in the past. It's not that they were calling it in this specific term. Right, and uh, what is it that's enabling uh, more and more companies to go down that path of digitalizing their uh, their entire business? Right. Uh, the first thing I would say is the uh, cost of that. You know, cost of going digital has gone down dramatically, uh, both in terms of uh, the sensor technology that you need to capture the data and the ability to process the data. Uh, so the lower cost of digitalization has uh, enabled uh, the manufacturers to put more sensors on their shop floor. You know, on their products everywhere that they can do. So that's one of the drivers. And uh, the second thing is that uh, today, with all the data that uh, that you generate, you don't need to store them in your own data centers or within your own facilities. You can store the data uh, for a relatively lower cost in cloud and uh, not have them reside in your, in your own uh, facility. So the cost of storing the data has also come down. And uh, the third one, I would say, is the ability to uh, meaningfully use the data. So uh, when I made the quote earlier that, you know, data was always there, it was always there. People did not capture it because they didn't have the ability to uh, store it uh, in a cost-effective manner and use the data and make something meaningful out of that. But those barriers are going away today. So you could uh, use the data science technology available uh, to predict how an equipment is going to uh, perform in future based on the data that you have collected on that equipment today. So uh, that's, that's one of the the, you know, uh, reasons. And the uh, fourth one, I would say, is the basic simple fact of meeting their customers' expectations. Customers are simply demanding more from them. You know, we talked about uh, autonomous cars and uh, self-driving cars. Uh, if you go to the, let's say, the, the mundane construction and mining equipment industry, uh, they have a term for that. They call it as autonomous haulage systems. Now, uh, why is that important there? It's primarily important because of the uh, amount of safety incidences that mines have had. You know, they wanted the ability for an equipment to be running on its own without going and hitting somebody, uh, causing the mine to shut down and, uh, you know, causing a huge amount of loss to the operator. So uh, that, that technology development is purely driven by the fact that they could put a number of sensors around their equipment and uh, have it uh, operate on its own without an operator sitting there and pushing the buttons. So that was another important, you know, driver for, uh, uh, you know, for the digitalization to be uh, uh, spreading across the whole industry framework. Uh, so for the for the manufacturers uh, to go digital, there are very real uh, reasons why they should be doing it, and uh, they will continue to do so in future. Thank you very much. A great broad brush look at what's happening today. Thank you, VJ. Dave Parrish, love to get your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, VJ mentioned a, a number, 10 to 15 trillion with a T. Um, that's what General Electric has estimated in their studies that the Industrial Internet of Things will bring to bear in the next few years. I think um, they said in the next 15 years that's what they expect from a revenue perspective globally, which is just enormous. And I think he... I think Vijay hit on the main points of, of why this is, you know, the business value being driven, um, costs coming down, safety concerns, things of that nature. But uh, another point that I think is very valid here is when he mentioned that customers are asking for more and more um, services, capabilities, you name it, from the manufacturers, 
it really is a different way to consume machinery, right? In the past, um, the mining company would buy this gigantic piece of equipment and it would be a capital expense for millions and millions of dollars and that's how we worked, right? And then we would maintain that over time and then, you know, we would eventually depreciate it and obsolete it. Well, now we're going to buy hours on that machine and the machine is going to be owned by the original equipment manufacturer, right? The mine doesn't have to own the machine anymore. They can just pay as they go, like Uber and Spotify and anything else you want to you wanna name in this, in this digital age. So to me, the changing of the business models is, the, is really what's going to drive, I think, the, the big part of those, those trillions of dollars that are, that are there for the opportunity. Thank you, Dave. Great insights. And Sabrina Bartlett, let's get your thoughts on this. Sabrina, do we have you? Hey, Bonnie, I wish I had uh, something else in my cup right now because uh, I'd be playing a drinking (laughs) game right now. And uh, every time you hear the word data, take a drink. (laughs) But, uh, no, I I think with... um, no, I, I agree with what Vijay is saying, and, and, you know, everyone's talking about data now as being the, the new currency. I think with mass digitalization, you know, that is, that is what's driving value. Um, and and uh, what, Vijay, uh, what Dave mentioned on, uh, on software and moving towards uh, more as a service model, data is the currency that will drive that. If you, if you look at Uber, Uber is a $7 billion company. They're not, that's not because of the assets they own. They're not an asset-heavy company. Uh, data is what is driving that. Data is that currency, um, and, and and it's not just the data itself. You know, you you hear everyone talk about, well, we've got the data. You've got sensors, and everything's feeding real time data, and you've got terabytes upon terabytes of data. But it's also what you do with it. So, you know, are you using predictive models to help drive down costs? Are you using, uh, you know, analysis and and other and, and selling that insight that you gain off that data? Um, that's where the, the money is to be made, and I think that you know that ten to fifteen trillion is really going to be driven out of. And then uh, just reacting to to Dave's stat from GE on the the ten to fifteen trillion that there's a lot of money to be made. I, I also look at this and think I sure hope there's a lot of money to be saved um, with this wave of mass digitalization. It, my hope is that you know we're going to be removing a lot of non-value add. We're going to be um, removing repetitive and, and wasteful activities from our lives and, and, and from companies and, and saving a ton of money as, as a part of this as well. So money to be made, but I, I also like to think of the, uh, the cost reduction possibilities as we move more towards this. I think we all would. Vijay, I'm going to circle back to you and ask you if you have any comments on what Dave and Sabrina added. Um, I'm glad that they brought up the, uh, the topic of uh, usage-based billing, consumption-based billing, and you know, working uh, with a scenario where customers are going to be paying uh, uh, based on uh, what uh, what they use. So that's that's uh, uh, you know what we call as one of the uh, common use cases that you know that gets. Uh, thrown around, and uh, that's an important one. And uh, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, we'll continue to see uh, uh, gaining traction. And I think whenever we go and talk to customers about, uh, you know, digitalization and, you know, what's in it for me, we talk about how the business models are going to be evolving in future, and this is one of the examples that we bring about. And uh, that's not theoretical. I think we've got uh, enough examples today out in the field where uh, customers are uh, 
being built by the hour of the recruitment and not being, uh, uh, you know, sold as, uh, you know, as an equipment up front. So uh, thanks, Dave, for bringing it up. Thank you very much. And Dave, talking about you, it's time to look at your topics you sent me before the show. A couple of interesting things here. We've covered a few, but uh, one comment you said, software is in everywhere indeed. I like that mass. Digitalization is here now when it's only going to be bigger or bigger. We could talk about your neighbor with the backyard barbecue that wirelessly has sensors. If you want to mention that case study, it's a nice one, Dave. But I will also like you to talk about, you mentioned a few weeks ago, you heard a talk by the head of the software division for a major major industrial automation manufacturer. So, Dave, you want to start with barbecue and then get into the serious stuff? Sure. Yeah, the barbecue <laughs> one just kind of cracked me up because uh, it was a neighbor who is very, very into smoking meat, as they say. And um, as many of you probably know, it takes a long time and it's really hard to get good at it. Well, he has a app on his phone that is connected wirelessly to his smoker, and the smoker reports the temperature at all times, and I think humidity and other things that are important to meat smokers. And I just thought, wow, we've uh, we've come a long way from <laughs> from caveman times to now. We're, That's true. Uh, and and basically, honey, I smell the charcoal. It's ready. Would you go out and put the damn burgers on and be sure not to burn them? The company's exactly. coming in no, ten minutes. The, yeah. Now the phone's telling you that. So there you go. There you go. Exciting. So tell us about this this person who was the head of this company. What did, what did they tell you? Sure. It was, um, it was Rockwell Automation, and they, we, we were fortunate enough to, to have their uh, head of software uh, speak at one of our events. And it was amazing hearing, hearing him speak because he wasn't a technological person. He wasn't an IT person. He was a business person um, and an engineer um, for the software that runs the automation equipment that they provide. And to just hear his journey from like what we were talking about before, very similar to the SAPs of the world and other software companies, whereas we used to sell you a compact disc and it cost millions of dollars and you, it was a capital expense, et cetera, just like buying a machine, or we sent you something wireless and it was a capital expense and it was still, it was still uh, you know, kind of a major I'm buying something from you as opposed to I'm renting something from you. Whereas now they've gone, for Rockwell anyway, they've gone from these like maybe yearly updates or quarterly updates of the software on this, on this hardware or associated with this hardware to they have to have you know, minute-by-minute reporting and updates so they can, to BJ's point, do this consumptive-based billing because their customers no longer want to purchase that software. They just want to rent it essentially, right? They want to pay for mm-hmm. what they're using and that's it only. And they want every single update to be there as fast as possible. So moving from that model of you're doing something every year, every couple of years to every quarter to down to the minute is, um, for me anyway, being in a software company, I, I kind of understood the concept, but I never put it together with a hardware company, right? But as we all know, software is everywhere. And any piece of hardware you have these days more than likely has some software. And my Yeti cup does not yet, but I'm sure there's some out there that will tell you. 
you know. What I want to know is, is there a sensor coming to your coffee cup, Dave, that will tell you when it's time to take that three-to-one sip of the ice water and another sensor in your glass that will tell you when the ice has melted down too far? We're just going to leave that one alone, but you're going to come back and tell us when that day has arrived. And guess what has arrived, Dave? Guess what has arrived? The time for our crystal ball predictions round is here. Six minutes left to the end of the show. So I've saved, oh, we can do about 90 seconds, each of you, but let's keep it tight. And Sabrina Bartlett at Capgemini, I'm just going to simply say, I like 2020. We've heard Barbara Walters talk about it for years. 2020. Thank you, Baba Wawa. You can predict anything at any point in the future, but I'm kind of keen on 2020 right now. What will change about this conversation about the mass digitalization and industrial manufacturing if we mitigate at some point in the future? Sabrina Bartlett, Capgemini, 90 seconds, all yours. Well, I hope we do meet again at some point, Bonnie. Um, I think, uh, you know, things are changing at an incredibly fast pace right now, which makes future predictions even more difficult. Um, You know, if you look at uh, historically, the hunter-gatherer age lasted tens of thousands of years. The agriculture age lasted thousands. Uh, The industrial revolution was hundreds. And then uh, the information age, I think, only lasted us decades. Uh, And so now we're in this super fast-paced digital age. So... I think mass digitalization and connected everything will be almost old news before we know it. Maybe not 2020, but it's coming. And, and the, uh, the innovations and inventions of the future may be invented by the innovations and inventions of today. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I like that a lot. That's a, that's a great prediction. I hear some positive in there. Thank you very much, Sabrina. And now Vijay Sundararajan, I can give you 90 seconds for your prediction. Yeah. Go ahead, Vijay. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, what I would first say is that uh, the competition for, you know, for the manufacturers uh, would become non-traditional, and it's really happening today. You know, who would have thought that the auto industry would be competing based on software capabilities? You know, so uh, the organizations are going to be competing not traditionally based on their strengths, but uh, uh, their uh, competitive scenario and situation would change. That's one. And uh, if you look at the enterprise software business, uh, the business that SAP is in, uh, they would most likely be uh, competing with their best customers, you know. And uh, I, I, I've, I've seen uh, situations where uh, some of these large uh, industrial manufacturers have turned in into uh, uh, industrial uh, software companies. So uh, there is a lot more uh, uh, software in getting into their products. And, uh, you know, that means that eventually... Uh, there would be a bit of competition uh, within, uh, you know, within our customer base. Uh, the third one that I would say is that uh, customers who do not commit to a proprietary or closed technology platforms, they would have better chances of success in the long term. You know, I think uh, we have seen it in the past where customers, you know, on similar uh, uh, technology curves have committed themselves into a closed uh, environment and have had difficulty in innovating and coming out of the framework when uh, the standards have moved to something else. So, uh, uh, you know, so my, my prediction is that customers who do not commit to a closed uh, and proprietary technology platforms, they would have a better chance of uh, success. And my last one would be uh, that uh, this thing is real. Digitalization is real and uh, uh, manufacturers, uh, they would be getting onto this train uh, sooner than later. Thank you very much, Vijay. Appreciate that. Good prediction. And Dave Parrish, I saved 90 seconds for you. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, Well, a couple things come to mind. First off, Vijay mentioned his, uh, his son learning about 3D printing in high school in suburban yes. Chicago today. 
that's today, right? That's not 2020. That's happening now. Um, I think we spoke earlier about 3D printing parts on another show um, at the space station, you know, 200 miles above Earth, like a complete supply chain, a space supply chain has now gone away because of 3D printing. Um, I mentioned, I think, to you last week that I was reading an article about a consumer-grade 3D printer that could print 3D printers, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's mind-boggling what's going on and how fast, like to, to Sabrina's point, how fast this pace of change is. Um, I don't know what 2020 is going to look like, but it's going to be extremely fun. And I think industrial manufacturers, which is where my heart and soul lies, are going to be at the heart of it, really. Thank you, Dave. So I, I, I read that. Come. I read that in your notes about 3D printers that can print 3D printers, and it's like looking in the mirror, you know, and you just yeah. keep seeing more and more and more. I have a friend who does little playful little videos where he plays all the characters. He's very good at wigs and glasses and hats, and in one he calls it the copy center, and he walks in, looks down at a, an old-fashioned Xerox machine, and then the frame clicks, and then you see two of him looking at the camera like, what, two of me? And then he looks down and presses the button on the virus. Xerox, and then there's three of him looking at the camera saying, what? There's three of me now? And, and I have to call him and tell him that I think he has, has predicted what 3D printing will be able to do. He won't even know what that's all about, but I will explain it to him. Thank you so much to the three of you, Sabrina Bartlett at Capgemini, Vijay Sundara Rajan at SAP, Dave Parrish at SAP, and a shout-out to Kevin and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Who knows what's going to be printing that one soon and what it will look like and if it'll tell Dave when it's time to pull over and get some hot coffee. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Sabrina, just like VJ, and just like Dave. Talk to you 2 o'clock this afternoon with our newest episode of Utilities of the Future with Game Changers. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.